Welcome to Long Distance Listening, a music podcast. Hello and welcome to Long Distance Listening. I'm Andrew. And I'm Nate. Welcome to part two of our two-part series, Talking with Dave Wilton, about A Boy in His Kite's newest album, The Path Became a Ghost. The album is out now, so if you have not had a chance to listen to the album, we highly suggest that you do listen to the album before you listen to part two, where we will be going song by song with Dave Wilton through the album, asking him all the questions that we have about each song specifically. And if you missed part one of our two-part series with Dave, make sure to go back back that is our general interview with dave you'll get a lot more context for the album why the album was birthed and just a lot more about dave and his artistic journey for this album so make sure you check that out nate do you want to welcome dave to part two hey dave long time no see hey hey are you ready to go track by track (laughs) rapid fire let's do it all right so first up we have shadowland Andrew, what are your thoughts on Shadowland outside of the fact that it's the best song you've ever heard? (laughs) Well, it is the best song I've ever heard, but it's also, it's just such an incredible first song for the album. It starts the album on a calm and smooth groove, yet the song builds into a massive ending. From a technical and production standpoint, I think it's one of the best songs on the album, and it's perfect for introducing new listeners to the sound of this album. There are too many amazing elements mixed into this track to point out all of them, but some of my favorites are the bass lead, the guitar leads, and the use of synths and orchestral elements that come in later in the song. So what was the process behind this song's arrangement, and what made you decide that it would be the first track on this album? So my son's very stubborn, and he liked me. He's amazing. (laughs) And uh, he wasn't really proficient on any instruments. Uh, but but so he would he'd come up to me and be like, Dad, we need to write a song. I got a song. I got a song. I got to write. And I'm like, okay. But for this day, he came to me. I had to work. I was like up against deadlines, you know, classic business things. And my son would not leave me alone. And it got to the point where I was like, I respect you, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I was not angry at you. I'm just like impressed. <laughs> yeah. And. and and I was having a bad day. I felt like I wasn't... I'm a moody person, you know. I, f- I feel the, the breadth of life and the highs and lows. So was in a fairly low place. And so Gid, Gideon is his name. Uh, I was like, fine. And uh, so I'm like, what instrument? And he goes, piano. So we go downstairs. And I said, son, can I please... Can we make it a sad song? And he goes, yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, I sat down and I played that riff just right off, right away. And um, and I was like, oh, that feels good. And then I said, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, that's good. And uh, and he goes, well, we need to record it. And I was like, dude, I don't have time to record a song. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's eight or seven at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, dad. And I was like, fine. So we 
we recorded it on the phone and he goes no i mean really record it he's a smart kid i can't get anything by him so um so we we went upstairs and i got out my midi controller and i play the riff and um and he's like all right um and then he got because he's seen me produce so he's like uh we need uh we need some woodwinds it's like what and he goes yeah clarinet and i was like okay so he starts telling me what he's hearing in his little imagination and i'm like starting to just feel and see what he's feeling and seeing obviously we're both feeding off of it and we're kind of looking at each other like oh this is happening we're actually writing something and then uh he's like we need some drums so i i programmed in that beat and um and by the by the time the beat came in i was like whoa i really love this and um it made me just so cathartic i felt like oh this feels good to get off my chest you know that's like I wish more musicians would go to therapy, but let's be honest. When I write a song, it's like yes, yeah. that's my therapy. <laughs> yep. I get it out, um, and so, and we get done, and I played some electric, and he's like, and it was just the verse, you know, the, in, the intro and verse, and he goes, "Well, you need to sing," and I was like, "No, dude, not today. Like, I'm not gonna sing," and he just looked at me, and he's he's like, "You will sing," and so I was like, "Okay," <laughs> so I picked up the. Um, my cheap mic, uh, and I sang that melody, and yeah, I teared up, and I was like, "Wow, my son drew that out of me." So like, why start the record with Shadowland? I think it's because it was a, a huge moment for me in my life where I realized that that I'm not always the instigator. You know, I'm not always the author or the the starter of things but i get to respond to things and i get to help curate things and it became this beautiful parallel song about my relationship how i relate to god and how i relate to the world and i was fascinated with the fact that my son called out a song of me and not me calling out a song of my son and i got started really getting into this notion that I could be singing a song to God and that God would be singing the song to me, the same song. We could sing the same song to each other. There's no songs that I'm aware of, at least within the Christian tradition, that um, God sings to us and we can sing back to him. It's usually one way. And I'm like my son. That was the conversation. And that's the type of relationship that I experience with my not only my son and my family but also in some mystical way with god so i thought well let's just start there <laughs> so for me the song and you kind of touch on this relationship between like heaven and earth it's it kind of addresses that divide and the mystery and confusion of being caught in between being born in a place that's not your home and trying to discover that sense of belonging and right. that sense of being known. And the title Shadowland is such a beautiful title. The only thing I did some research, like, is this some like, uh, this could totally be like a eighties fantasy book, like that I don't know about or something. 
And I was just like, let me do some research. I couldn't really find anything. And the only thing that came to mind personally is Psalm 23. And that imagery of thirst and paths, is, which is present in the psalm, is also kind of present in the, the song you wrote. And I could be reaching here. But what inspired the title of Shadowland? And why is being known as you are such a crucial part of feeling safe in the Shadowland for you? Yeah, I think it encompasses the heart of God and the heart of man. So God, when he revealed himself, like in the Hebrew tradition and Christian tradition, it was I am. It was a very simple, well, I I am me, you know. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that I am. The, and that that's the beauty of, no, I feel like, knowing God, I've had to know myself. The more I know God, the more God teaches me about myself, and the more I learn about myself, the more I learn about God. I'm not God at <laughs> all. I don't, I, I don't have, I don't think that at all. But a sense of being known is, I think, at the heart of being human. And at the heart of being human, I think, is we reflect the heart of our Creator who loves to be known like loves to have, uh, loves to sing the same songs and be caught up in the same questions, right? So like all the pre-choruses, and I did a little bit of trickery in the arrangement, but like I want to know your motivation. Like I tell that to God all the time, and then he tells that to me too. But down deep inside, we kind of both know each other's motivation. So it's more like lately I've been asking to know the right direction. Like I feel like, God can relate to that, you know, I can relate to that. Yeah, so so that's like, for me, definitely a shadow land is a place usually uh, reserved for in between the boundaries, you know, spiritual boundaries. Uh, it's often where, you know, in folklore, where spirits, where ghosts live, um, where they can interact with the real world, but most of the time they're in this gray in between, um, not feeling fully a citizen of, of anywhere, you know. Um, but the beauty for me in my Christian faith is feeling like my citizenship is that is being known by God and knowing Him. So it's actually relationship, and I can't explain it. It's quite weird, but I love it. And so that's what the song's about. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Next up, we have Time. What are your thoughts on time? So I love that in a song called Time, the first thing that stood out to me is the cool timing that the instruments carry throughout the song. I'm so impressed by the use of layering on all your tracks and how you're able to create and change up each section so perfectly. I love how you merge the bass line from the intro and the verses with the second chorus and then strip it all back uh, to return to the purity of the first chorus. What was the thought process behind that merging? And does it all play into the ideology behind the lyrics? Yeah. My, in- 
my initial hope for writing a song about time was that I would... <laughs> I, I've been telling friends for years that I was going to make a song where it wasn't like a snapshot, you know, like where you can like slow vids, like every... I wanted to sing a vocal, like one line every day and have the recording be this like passing of time. Um, I couldn't do that. That was too much work. <laughs> so, but the, I've been ruminating on like how to write a song about time and my relationship with time for years. And it all uh, coalesced in one late night. Uh, and I just was holding my SG, uh, my electric guitar and this like, riff and it never stopped on a chord it just kept moving in a way that I hadn't I've never done that before I've never done that scale or whatever and I just remember like looking at my hand being like this is weird this is awesome <laughs> and it just like came you know and the feeling was like oh this is a song that never it's never gonna stop uh, then, obviously, because it's a song, I had to put chords to it. But at the heart of the song is that riff that keeps moving. And it will come and visit a few other things, and it does repeat, but it's never landing on like a pad, you know, for a, you know. So the moment I realized that, like, oh man, this is not gonna, this is just gonna keep going. Uh, I got a mic and I just sang, uh, sang, you know, time is, and I just started singing about time. And some of the lyrics to the song came then when I had to craft some of the others. But the main thinking of the, it's all based on that riff. And then pulling things out and bringing in even a mode change in the key, uh, in the bridge was all about just like highlighting the fact that it just keeps moving and subtly changing and you find yourself, you know, at the same spot, but you're two years in the future and you're like, wow, time, here we are. It's all we have. So when you mentioned that uh, singing one line a day uh, type of songwriting, it just like triggered my memory to... To boyhood have you seen that movie i have not but i've heard about it i need to see it yeah that it's a similar experience i think on a certain level or at least a similar strategy to, yeah. to what you're describing and it's very interesting in the way the story tells itself through that strategy but uh speaking about your song i think the first verse is one of the best verses i've heard in a long time though i'm sure i could say that about a lot of verses on on the record and uh if you don't mind, I'll just read it really quickly. Yeah, please. Uh, time is all I have worth making. Time is here, then had. Time is everything awakened. A sea of what's left unsaid. And as someone who's often complacent in life, I think this song is the exact antithesis of that way of living, which is one reason why I find it so beautiful and motivational. And it's a song that pushes for humility, that you haven't arrived yet and there's so much more ahead worth striving for and the chorus as you mentioned it's all we have it sounds like an epiphany in a certain sense and you kind of describe it that like everybody has 
comes to at some point, or at least most people come to at some point. And my question, which you kind of already answered, I was going to ask, was it a singular moment in life that inspired the song? And my guess is from what you said, it was more just like something that was on your heart for a while. Is that correct? Yeah. There wasn't like a singular aha. No, it was it was very much. Um, yeah, I, I wrestle with that thing all the time. Why some days feel long, why some days feel short. And, but it was, my wife was, um, it was the first week of her recovering from surgery. And um, I hadn't written music I took like four months five, off of um, working just to be with my wife and kids. And, um, and so it was a moment of literally having an honest conversation with that internal soul accountant and the time that I have left on this planet, not just for myself, but for those I love and my wife being the person I most love, you know. So she definitely is a part of that song. And me, you know, you're not out of the woods. Um, so let's make the most of it. And um, so, yeah, there was, I've been thinking and reading about time for a long time. Abraham Joshua Heschel is one of my favorite uh, authors on that subject. The book, his book, The Sabbath, he talks a lot about a castle in time and a bunch of beautiful imagery around uh, why a day of rest is so good <laughs> and um, so that we can encounter God as he reveals himself through time and in time. But yeah, it was a moment of when my wife was recovering that I, that song came. Next up, we have Sunny Day. Andrew, what are your thoughts? I took too long to think of a pun that would diss you. I couldn't think of anything, but <laughs> I was thinking like when every day with you is a rainy day, but I was like, no, nah, that doesn't really work well. So I'm just, it's a bit yeah, of a it reach. is a reach. Anyways, Andrew, what are your thoughts on sunny day? Yeah, this song gets stuck in my head all the time. Dave, as you mentioned, some of your friends mentioned this to you already, but but the song is just so catchy. That chorus is so catchy. There's so many amazing elements, once again, in, in one song that it's too much to kind of pull out, but I'll highlight some of them. I really love the vocal layering in the song, the synth lead in the chorus, and the bass lines throughout. The song sonically captures the feeling of a sunny day so well. So what went into the process of creating the brightness from an instrumental standpoint to make the song shine? Yeah, it took some work because I wrote the song on piano. That was the original uh, kind of a Peter Gabriel-esque melody. La, da, 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 you know, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So to translate it, to move it to a pop kind of indie rock vibe, it did take some labor <laughs> yeah and i think definitely working with latifa my co-producer and tyler making sure that i could make the song feel energetic because at its core it's kind of a sad song um 
And so uh, in order for it to feel uplifting and sunny, it all came in the rhythm of the song. So the drums, um, the synth layering, and then I really wanted to utilize um, electric guitars that like weren't getting in the way of the kick drum and low synths and the low bass guitar. I wanted the like driving bass to to feel like records that I grew up with. And some of the records I grew up with, dude, guitars are so mid-range heavy and nasty yeah. and brittle, but <laughs> they, they just carry so much energy because they just gave so much room for the bass guitars to do crazy things and so this one was really fun for me to get my twin brother to play uh bass um i'm playing kind of like the main kind of simple easy bass part but my brother's a really amazing bass player and so he's doing these like like nate mendel-esque sunny day real estate's bass player who also happens to play for an unknown band named foo fighters um (laughs) like he has some of my favorite bass parts and my brother channeled his playing, I thought, really well. So, an aside, I w- was going to ask a question as I was doing uh, research on the song and thinking about it. And I was like, he said sunny day. That's like a singular day. Maybe it's like he misses this day. And then I realized the very next line, you go sunny days are always. And I'm like, nope, it doesn't work. Like, whatever but after your explanation i'm like oh that makes so much sense that sunny day is singular in reference to the band so that was very interesting because and it shows how you can like read into things so hard that aren't there or whatever totally well no and that's the beauty of art but yeah like sunny day only sunny day real estate fans basically if you either call them sunny day or sdre it's like you never say Sunny Day Real Estate unless you're talking to someone who has no idea who Sunny Day Real Estate is. So that was the joy is that like I put in a few little lyrical gems, you know, like Circles Around the Sun is referencing their my, the first song I heard of theirs, which was in Circles. Oh, that's sick. Um, there's like lots of little, you know, fun things that I put in that um, true Sunny Day Real Estate fans will be like, wow. <laughs> we're not alone in missing this band mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like i need to become a sunny day real or a sunny day fan now or- yeah well jeremy enoch is brilliant all the guys in the band were brilliant um but jeremy honestly it was hearing his voice sing uh on diary their first album where i knew beyond a shadow of any doubt that my life would be involved in music that's awesome um and and he he really is you know everyone has to i feel like has to have one of those people in whatever profession they do they they meet someone and they're like this is possible yeah (laughs) and all of a sudden you feel known and you're like he knows me even though there's no way he knows you um but there was some there was freedom in his voice and a and a like a yearning in his voice that I deeply feel in my soul and um, I hadn't heard it before until he sang so I I thank him often that's so cool so the track placement back to back with time I think is really smart in the sense of how time pushes forward into the future and sunny day goes back to the past 
I absolutely love the lines, when I was young, sad songs were fun. And it uh, first off, it's ironic because Sunny Day is a wicked sad song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is fun yes. in its sound. Um, but these lines remind me so much of a verse on the song Little Landslides by David Bazan, where he sings, another young man tells a story before his heart is even broken one time like a stand-up who forgets his punchlines. And I think you and Bazan articulate so well that sometimes kids, and us as kids, don't understand the heartbreak and reality of life until they're older and have experienced more of life and what it really has to offer. And because of that, uh, there's this desire to return to those childhood days as a form of escapism. Mm -hmm. And... What's funny to me, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, and I just talked about it, this might be the brightest and least hopeful song you've ever released. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's, it's like, it's almost a song of mourning. And I was thinking, I was like, let me quickly go back to like a sad song on your first record. And I was like, well, Heartache is a Cold Place. Like that obviously from yeah. the lyrics is sad. And you still end it with, I'm not giving up. Like there's this like yeah. hope, there's this resolution on a certain level, but there's no resolution on this song. How important was it for you to end this song without resolution or a happy ending yeah i i did if i'm honest i didn't even think about it <laughs> <laughs> i think i think when i wrote the final um verse and chorus youth is a bright vision painted in rose and gold each day moving on then forward we're just kids growing old and then i wrote um the last line of the song is like when we were young, our hearts we'd give. I wanted to leave it more like, hey, remember when we used to have so much that we just would give? Like, we didn't even think about giving. It was just in our nature. And now, as we get older, yeah, I just thought it was okay to, to end with, like, remembering the generosity of youth and just sitting in it. Mm. I, d I definitely, and this, like, that's a definitely a posture shift from the way i was hearing it in the sense i was almost hearing it in the sense of like we used to be like that and like we lack that generosity now and we'll never get it back almost which is not yeah. exactly what you're saying but it's interesting it could be it could be i think uh, yeah i'm i'm weird man like i not to get all weird and mystical, but I, I think I have conversations with my younger self all the time. And I, I've learned to have compassion on them. And I've learned to be inspired by them. And I've learned, you know, not the like weirdo Matthew McConaughey, like my heroes, me in the future. Um, I think in some sense, we all have to come face to face with with the fullness of who we are, past, present, and who we're becoming. And uh, and it's hard, and it's sad. It, you know, one of my mentors and favorite humans on the planet is a blind priest named Larry Gillick, and he says, there's a built-in loneliness in everything. Everything is meant to be a graceful disappointment so that everything is an invitation to know that everything isn't God. 
Dude, when he said that to me, I like started crying <laughs> because not many people are okay with the built-in disappointment and loneliness in life. They're just not okay with it. And this song, to me, I have to be okay with the fact I'm getting older and that I do miss many things of my youth. And I'm content in the present, but I think it's for me to say that I don't miss certain aspects of being young, I'd totally be lying to myself. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's really powerful. Next up, we have the song Words Underneath, Emmeline. thoughts on words underneath MLI. So with every new track, I'm just so impressed that you add a new layer to your sound. No two songs have sounded the same, yet they all work so perfectly together. As far as elements in the song that I love, I'll start with the drums. Shout out to Tyler. I think these are some of the best drums on the album. But dang, I just want to talk about what musically happens after the second chorus in that bridge section. (laughs) There's a bunch of moving parts happening at once, and they almost seem to be clashing with each other, but they aren't. There's a lot of tension that's happening in that section there. And then when it comes back again into the chorus, it's a perfect vibe, and it ends with this beautiful, peaceful piano, electric guitar chords, and ethereal vocals. So how did you end up writing that song, and specifically this bridge section? Oh, man. It was a fight from the beginning to the end. The initial song came in the form of a guitar and an open tuning, and obviously... It starts with piano, so I had to learn that piano was going to be the main instrument. Um, And I tried making it an acoustic song, and it just kept fighting me. And so I had literally, um, who knows, because none of us use paper anymore, but (laughs) I had pages and pages of um, lyrics and poetry for this. And my initial muttering lyrically for this song was on the mend I I called it on the mend and um, that's what I felt I felt like this sense of healing and a sense of growing but it wasn't time you know it didn't didn't. so fast forward um, to the third iteration of the song I'm just fighting it I tried to write it about Allie my wife and it just felt cheesy and forced uh, she even, when she heard it, she's like, well, a little on the nose. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> she's, she's really sweet to me and um, honest. And so my family was on a trip and I was home alone. There was a reason for it. I can't remember. And I just decided I was going to try to let go of all the melodies I had in my head about that song and just to see what happened, you know, like reopen the the imagination station and um, plead with God to give me something new. So I put the mic on and sang that first melody 
And I think even the lyrics blurred the lines that I can't find. And um, instantly I knew it was about my daughter, Nora, who has severe dyslexia and who, um, because of her, she has 20-20 vision, but uh, she has no depth perception in one of her eyes. And the brain mechanism that allows her to recognize groupings of word words is just like doesn't work you know mm-hmm. so she's so smart and she truly is brilliant and um and all of a sudden I, I got in to a a place where I could sing like she was like if I was her and so that's where the song really took shape the bridge then became this opportunity for me to musically experience what she must experience every time she tries to read mm. write so all the recipes are there you know the letters and the numbers and the groupings but they're just like they feel like uneasy like you're on a boat that's like should we be in the water maybe <laughs> we should head back to land you know and so the bridge became this movement for me of trying to build the uncomfortable tension of what it must feel like for my sweet daughter to try to read and and then the joy of ending the song in that like triumphant like hey she's figuring it out you know with the help of tutoring and great teachers and just um, she's figuring it out and but the end then became this like I just thought, well, how cool when my when my daughter's 70, she can hear me sing to her. And my daughter's middle name is Emmeline. Mm. Her first name's Nora. And I just thought, like, if I was a 70-year-old man, it would be a joy to be able to hear my father sing to me. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, why it's words underneath and then parentheses Emmeline is that I just wanted to give her a gift. And, um yeah. So I thought I liked the song <laughs> until you shared your uh, the backstory, and I realized the previous me definitely didn't like it compared to how much I love it now after hearing everything. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. one thing that's and I I mean I can't imagine it's not intentional, and this is like so next level genius is how you use the word line and lines so frequently and all the wordplay within the songs. But with the overall message of these words kind of being inside of her and like longing to speak them out and her middle name being Emmeline with, it's almost like that line is in her. Like, and... It's just like certain things you're like, this can't get more beautiful. And then it does. So why do you feel like this song kind of fought you so much? So why did this song fight me so much? Well, because I had to feel what she felt and I had to be able to like struggle in order to express and be be her friend, be her father, be like a... And so... When I first sang it to her, it was, uh, <laughs> she, 
she at first was like, oh, I like the old version better. And I was like, <laughs> okay, let me, I'm going to s- tell you the lyrics. And I slowly read the lyrics to her. And she looked at me and just started crying. <laughs> we cried together. And, oh, my um, gosh. I feel like, yeah, I know not everyone has dyslexia, but I hope that if people who have dyslexia, that they'll be able to, like, have a song that they can um, feel that they take joy in the fact that the beauty that's in them made its way out in language and in art and in self-expression. And um, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of this song, man. I'm like, it took, like I said, I fought it. I labored over it. Um, and yeah, I put a lot of, now reading through the lyrics, you probably understand why I wrote what I did. Yeah. So next up we have Give You Better. So this is what I say, like, to you, Dave, about my co-host. Like, I wish, like, I could give you better. <laughs> like, I want to give you better, um, but I just can't. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on <laughs> Give You Better? <laughs> well, when I first heard this song, it reminded me a lot of Copeland, actually. And that's one of the highest compliments I could possibly give you. I'm a huge Copeland awesome. fan. And I never hear anyone that even comes close to Copeland uh, normally. And so they're amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This song almost makes me emotional with the yearning to do better for someone. Also, the song has my favorite vocal layering on the album. It's beautiful, honest and yearning all together. What was the process behind writing the melody and harmonies for this track? And was it easy or difficult to figure out the vocal layering? Um, Yeah, this song was also in that same period of uh, my wife recovering. And I needed to blow off some steam, and I wasn't good to anyone, including myself, so I, what better to do than to drum and get on a drum set and hit things. I don't have a punching bag, so drums are like the next best thing. And I just remember being in my studio and just trying to hurt my drum set. And I, after I got out some steam... I was just playing this, like, the drum beat of the song, and just over and over and over, and I remember just feeling like, ah, I've, you know, that's a song, it's a feeling to me. So I, I was like, oh, this is something that I, I want to discover, so that I recorded it on my phone, and then I went to a piano, and then I went upstairs, grabbed my acoustic guitar, and then I I sang it. So those lyrics are the most vulnerable I think I can be, you know, specifically towards my wife. And it's a song of apology. It's a song of longing and hopefulness to be better for her. And, um, yeah, it's a song of, like, realizing, like, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what she deserves. But in the midst of that still, 
like going to try to do better. So I realized that my voice was going to be, um, you know, the most vulnerable instrument is the human voice. And so I took a day or, you know, an hour or so to um, come up with these vocal harmonies. I'm really, I'm not a big choral guy, if I'm honest, but I, but I love like Arvo Parr and I love kind of new classical Philip Glass, like um, Steve Reich, weird, la la, you know, like the super, like weird high stuff and rhythmic. And so this song was the first song on the record that I tried creating four-part harmonies, but doing it in a way that uh, are very close, not just simple thirds and um, fifths and things like that. I, I did overlapping movements, and I'm not like musically, specifically musically trained, um, although I understand some music theory, but I, this song, I decided to use my voice as almost like an organ, and create the layers, and and then it inspired me to um, to do that on a lot of the songs on the record, including Emmeline. I do the, a similar vocal treatment at the end. So when reaching out to you, uh, interview Dave, I sent him one of our episodes with Tyson Matzenbacher, and Give You Better really reminds me of the title track of that record, Someday I'll Make It All Up to You, mm-hmm. um, simply from like a conceptual standpoint. And... The track placement back-to-back with Words Underneath, I think, works really well with uh, the contrast where on Give You Better, you sing, and I walked out tonight on a borrowed line, and I wiped out with all the words, unable to make a sound. And this time you have those words, but you're unable to speak. Yeah, And that's in contrast when you were longing for words on the Words Underneath. Um, one of my favorite parts of the song might be the haze simply because haze can generally be used in songs simply as a generic, like we got to add some pop. We got to add some, (laughs) some boom. We got to add some pizzazz. But for me, there's just a huge, uh, conceptual component with those haze. And, uh, they're, they're like a reaching out there, and almost like an introduction of yourself as someone who is desiring to change. And um, I just find that to be like, I think the only reason I could pick up on that is because I've been there before (laughs) so many times. Um, But my favorite part of the song is the last lines. Um, You sing throughout the, the song, I want to give you better, but by the end you sing, I'm going to give you better, which is a commitment. It's making a promise when self-doubt could discourage you from doing so. And that's just extremely powerful to me. How important for you is that transition in the lyrics personally? Yeah, that was the gift to my wife when I played her the song. I said, I'm going to give you better, you know. And that, so the song leading up to that moment is just simply acknowledging that, uh, <laughs> that I suck. And, um, <laughs> but then that acknowledgement leads to a change and a positive change. And, and so, yeah, to me, that's, yeah, that's the whole point of the song. So next up, we have Talking to the Air.
sometimes when engaging in an intellectual discussion with Andrew, I feel this way. <laughs> um, Andrew, what are your thoughts? <laughs> so this song is insanely good. It has some of my favorite guitar parts on the entire album. I also feel like it's one of your strongest vocal performances on the album. The album has never felt too slow or stale, and I think a lot of that has to do not only with track placement, but with the song's dynamics. The dynamics are perfect. Just that perfect slow yet intentional build that you have throughout the song crescendoing into that bridge. How thoughtful were you specifically about this song's dynamics and how it ramps up into the bridge in relation to the lyrics? I was really intentional. I wrote the song on electric. Um, the electrics you hear on the song are, are and I'd say half of the ele- half of the instrumentation besides drums and piano that you hear on the record, I actually did in the moment I wrote the song. Wow! So they're they're very like real, you know. And the electric guitar part, it started with the electric, and it ended into that. Just I remember the first time I did the real big descending line that sounds like the cure <laughs> um i was crying when i was played it just because it was such a, a release for me and so i decided that i wanted tifa to play the piano and and make it feel a bit more sigarosi um and have just a little bit more of a classical feel and uh, i thought that then I could go into the electric and acoustic elements and build uh, the rhythm underneath. Um, I composed some woodwind parts that um, was really fun to send off to Tyler Summers in Nashville, and he he did a wonderful job. Um, but all these elements, I never wanted to be louder or overtake the voice. And so I think my voice is like intentionally louder on this track than any other track on the record. And yeah, I think all that stuff was fighting for this like quite cathartic moment at the end of the song where you can just be like, oh, all right. Like it's a kind of a white flag for me, like a moment of surrender where I say like, man, love how about you come and do your thing in my heart and um, and I'll be okay. And so getting to that place required a lot of subtle changes in the instrumentation. And um, yeah. So again, with song placement, I think the song's so perfect after Give You Better. And it's because on Give You Better, you're like, I'm going to change and on talking to air, you're like, I can't change. <laughs> uh, uh, so true. And uh, for me, this song uh, is just about how God seems present some days and absent mm-hmm. others. But the presence and absence is framed direct and directly correlated with this idea of who you are and who you long to become. And you admitting this also admits you cannot change on your own. Mm-hmm. And you end the track with a plea for God, as you mentioned, to let his love into your heart, which is a step of faith in light of the words previously stated in this right. song. And in that moment, you're trusting you're not talking to the air, or mm-hmm. maybe you're so desperate that it's the only option you have. And I find it interesting, the connection 
to the title of the album. And you kind of briefly touched on this when uh, we asked that question in the general um, interview with The Path Became a Ghost and this track. Um, and I'm referring to the Holy Ghost and yeah. God's invisible nature. Are Is that at all connected for you, um, the idea of the Holy Ghost and the path became a ghost and this track of God's invis- invisible nature? 100%, yeah. But the cool thing about that is that when I wrote the line, I wasn't thinking about the Holy Ghost. That's like how clever and wonderful of a friend God is. Because <laughs> then, <laughs> then I sing a line and I'm like, oh, you scoundrel. You tricked me. Um, he, he seems, yeah, he's the spice that makes its way into everything I do uh, because it is just wonderful and it's life. And uh, But yeah, no, this song was the first song I wrote um, for the record. And it was the first uh, song I wrote uh, post uh, my wife. Um and it was a plea, you know. It's probably the most loud harp-esque sound, like, sonically, of any of the songs. I remember I sent it to Asher, and he's like, please let it be a loud harp song. And I was like, <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, so there is this longing, but life is longing. And I think longing is the spiritual life. And so I, I'm able to, like, articulate to God in the moment when I'm writing the song, like, hey, like, where have you been? You know, like, where are you? Sometimes I feel you, like, right next to me. Sometimes it's like not only that you're absent, but I feel like you're purposely absent, you know, that I'm just talking to the air. And then the longing to not be alone is both equal for, I think, all humanity, but, like, I don't want to do life apart from God. Um, I don't want to do life apart from my wife. And then at the end, you know, the lyric, I tried for months to rewrite uh, the last line because it's a little cheesy. But you know what? <laughs> I I just, that's that was real to me. And I remember it's what I sang when I first wrote the song, and I... You know, probably make it sound like I'm a mopey, cryy person, but I don't cry a ton. But music makes me cry, and and the Holy Ghost makes me cry. My wife makes me cry. My kids make me cry. And man, I cried when I sang that because I was in need, and I felt immediate comfort from the Holy Spirit, and I felt this infusion of love and energy and. Uh, resolve and I immediately went downstairs and woke my wife up <laughs> and played her the song and um, and she cried with me and we we both felt comforted and uh, yeah well, thanks for sharing next up we have with God on our side the names of the heroes I was made to Andrew, with God on your side, the only way the Eagles 
beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on this song? So this is one of my favorite songs on the album, and it's a cover. And I have in parentheses, well, sort of. So the song first stood out to me because you tend to, for a boy in his kite, you tend to write poetic yet literal lyrics. And then this song's lyrics are extremely literal. I didn't know that it was a Bob Dylan cover song the first few times listening to it. And I fell in love. Then when I learned it was a cover, I decided to go listen to Bob Dylan's version of the song. Now, I'm admittedly not a huge Bob Dylan fan, but after listening to Bob Dylan's version, I now like your cover even more than before, and I'll explain. The best part of the original song is the lyrics and the way that it makes the listener think about war and the term God is on our side. I think you created a better soundscape to kind of encompass these lyrics and help the listener be able to sit and wrestle with these lyrics. And so I'm wondering, how did you decide to cover this song? And what does the message of this song mean to you personally? Yeah, um, I, I'm a huge Dylan fan. So I, I have a lot of his records. You know, Allie, for birthdays, she gets me like Dylan books on like <laughs> his poetry and his songs. Um, but... With God on Our Side has always been a song that I loved, um, but I never, I always thought he could, uh, it just never felt like the the recording that's on, these times are changing, like, it just was slow, it was in a weird key, and it never, it never awakened really my full imagination. So I remember one day I was just sitting in, in my studio and, uh, in these times, they are changing. You're like, or like I started hearing Dylan's songs in my head, and I was like, ah, oh, get that song out of my head. So then I was like, well, with God on our side, and I heard that melody, and I was like, hmm. So I just YouTubed it, and I found a performance of his in the UK when he was like 23, maybe 22, 23. And this guy's like, here's Bob Dylan with another protest song, you know, <laughs> and. Um, and he plays it, and it's he's capoted up, and he plays it with just like a freedom and an intensity that is not on the record. Mm. And um, his voice sounds pure and beautiful, which is kind of weird mm-hmm. uh, to hear Dylan like that. And um, <laughs> he just, the, from the first line, man, uh, I it, something just leapt inside me. And... Um, and I really did feel like I was, I was born in the Midwest, you know, and uh, and so I felt this like kindredness to what he was saying, and it's so prophetic, guys. Like he, like everything he says in it is is true now as it was then, and um, will continue to be true. And so I was like, I went. I called uh, a friend of mine and was like, hey, I'm going to do a Dylan cover. And he laughed at me. And I was like, but not like, not like Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to do it. I need to find a way to get these lyrics into people. Yeah. Uh, like medicine. And um, so I wrote it on piano. It sucked. I wrote it on uh, 
electric guitar. It sucked. I went through several different renditions, and finally I got my dad's 12-string um, from the 60s, 1965 uh, Gibson 12-string. I had it worked on, and it and it got uh, new strings. And I remember just picking it up right out right after my friend worked on it, and it was perfect. I just needed an instrument from his era, I think, to unlock it for me. And then the song came, and I uh, the lyrics you hear at the beginning, those weird filtered vocals, it's the very first time I sang it with those melodies. Yeah. So, again, perfect track placement in response to Talking to Air. Uh, on Talking to Air, you're wondering, where is God? He feels so absent. On with God on our side, Dylan's like, why are you all putting God where he's not? <laughs> like, why are you all like, like pointing oh, God's present here and he's not? Um, and I think the juxtaposition of those two tracks back to back is just so interesting. I think the best covers are when you can't tell their covers. And um, outside of... I, I, I kind of call it like an ode to the original with the beginning... You kind of like give kind of like a shout out to him yeah. in my mind. Outside of that, you really recreate the song and make it your own. And I didn't know it was a cover until I read the song credits you sent, which proves my point. And Andrew had the same thing. Awesome. One thing that has frustrated me, um, and I'm assuming from what you've been saying is uh, the same with you is uh, just like the politicizing of Christianity. Yes. And I don't want to open up a can of worms. Oh, I can preach, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, do you feel like the song uh, could be applied in those terms as well as inner politics becoming holy wars and demonizing the opposing side and... If so, from your perspective, how have you seen that play out in recent memory? We, we're we living in uh, an interesting moment in time where, um, where God, you know, God and Scripture and Jesus and beautiful symbolism of faith uh, are used as weapons against people. And... Um, the thing that I love about Christ is that he was most pissed off at religious people because his message was a new message, a message of hope for everyone and a message of comfort, a message of peace within the disappointment, a message of, hey, so there's like workers that show up at a field, you know, first thing, and then an hour later, another one shows up and another hour, another one shows up, and all the way to the last minute of the day, someone shows up and works in the field, and they all get paid the same. Like, God's ways are not like our ways, and we've, so many people have used the teachings of Jesus to incite violence, and incite division, and incite hurt, and they, there's power, man. In the Bible, there's power in um, the name of God. And people use that, unfortunately, for their own gain. And some of them are very well-intentioned people that are just quite deceived. And so 
This song is directed towards as Dylan in his youth, but in his brilliance and in his willingness to receive songs, I think, from the divine. It's a history lesson for people. Like, hey, guys, I know as a white male from the Midwest, I was taught, you know, I was on the winning side. My heroes had guns in their hands, and they told the South what was up and that we weren't, you know, like I, my own history being raised in Illinois in the North is even quite different than what my friends in the South were raised with, you know. Many of my friends in the South were raised, taught many different things to me in regards to slavery, in regards to uh, God, in regards to a bunch of different things, you know. So here we are, we're one nation under God, you know, but our history matters. We need to be able to reconcile, just like I spoke earlier on Sunny Day. We need to go back and have that conversation with our young selves and, and have grace and compassion, but also not run from the fact that, ah, I was a young prick at some point. <laughs> and I had a tendency towards genocidal violence if I'm America, you know. Um, we have to actually reconcile our past if we're going to change the future. And we have to, man. And then when you have kids, I don't know if you guys have any children or married, but um, then you have children and you think, oh, crap, how do I explain that one, you know? Um, hey, Daddy, you know, when we're driving by a reservation, um, uh, Native Americans, you know, how do you explain that to your children? When we're driving by a ghetto of... Uh, a marginalized community that's never been given any opportunities by our society to thrive. How do I explain that to my children? That is why I think Jesus is the, is amazing. And my faith offers me, not only me hope, but it offers those people hope that we're all equal in the sight of God and that God did not come to, uh, to rain down holy terror uh, and smite evil people, uh, but he came to actually rescue us and unite us. And so I'm hopeful, man, that um, that this song and these lyrics will, like a, as my friend Josh Dillard has a new record coming out, which is amazing. Uh, he has a song called Stone in Your Shoe, and uh, truth should be a stone in our shoe. And we have to we have to live with it until we're really ready to get it out, you know. And if we don't, it's going to keep cutting us and bruising us and, and hurting people. Next up, we have free. Andrew, you will be free from my jokes about you on this song. <laughs> what are your thoughts on free? I love this song. I think how the song changes towards the end is perfect. The song has an awesome groove to it. You have such a good way of writing in really cool grooves and really cool chord structures. Has this been something that comes naturally for you? Or do you feel like you have to push yourself in that area? And then how did that work for this song? Thank you. Uh, 
No, it's just a riff um, that came. Uh, it was a happy accident. Um, I had my guitar dropped down to D, my bass string, and then I decided for some odd reason to capo it like up at capo nine, wow. <laughs> which is like way up there on the guitar, and it had a certain chime to it. And had I known that I would have to sing so high when I capoed it that high, I would have changed it. But I didn't, and so I had to learn how to sing really high notes again as an old man. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but no, it came very naturally. I love the music on this one. It's it's fairly simple, but the, there's a beautiful movement to the rhythm of it, and it just felt like it wanted to just soar, you know. It reminded me of a riff I did on my first album called Carry the Weight or Carry All the Weight. I forget whatever I called that song. And it, there was an ease to the riff that I felt was nice. And so I purposely wanted to sing something unlike I've ever, like, unlike something I've sung before. So I gave myself a challenge of trying to sing rhythmically because I love growing up with Sunny Day Real Estate. I like, and Sigaros and. Uh, Tommy, I was trying to be more like rhythmic and uh, percussive in my voice. And yeah, this song is ultimately about that love of God, you know, that I just spoke of and with God on our side, that he didn't come to divide us. He came to bring us freedom. And the ultimate act of freedom is possessing love at the degree in which we can love our enemies and love those that hate us and love those that persecute us and love those that um, are just bully. You know, it's just, I, I, the love of God is so free to me. because, And, and I think a lot of people that fear God uh, fear this notion of uh, judgment, but I think ultimately they just fear that God will love everyone, and that's hard for them. I think ultimately a lot of people, if they're honest, they fear God's love more than anything. And so this was a song inviting people into that freedom. And, um, yeah. So you already mentioned the song placement back to back with God on our side and just mm -hmm. how well those, these songs work back to back. Whenever the song comes in that opening, I, I always have this feeling of like, Oh, <laughs> like it's like it's like one of those like this is so sweet and like so pure and so beautiful but i was wondering if the drum beat mainly in the second verse and in the bridge is almost meant to imitate like a marching drum type beat like a marching drum type feel and regardless of whether it is or not and you kind of already touched on this but how is the song for you a march towards loving others in light of god's love Oh, it's a journey, man. You know, it's a journey. Um, I haven't always been good at loving people that disagreed with me and wanted wanted to be divisive towards me. And so I needed a drum beat that had space, but also kept moving, you know. Mm. And that was super intentional. In fact, Latifah and Tyler... We have an original drum performance, and like even if you go to my Kickstarter page, that's the song that's on it, but it has like weird electronic drums and stuff. And um, it just took me a few weeks to be like, no, that can't be the song. Um, 
I had originally wrote that drum part um, and acoustic part at the same time, and I tracked it myself. And uh, and so Tyler, being the awesome uh, friend, but also you know drummer, I called him up and was like, "Hey, can you retract drums on free?" And he goes, "You just want to do what you originally did, don't you?" And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you can do it so much better than I can do it." And uh, and so he, uh, and that's, you need humble part friends, you know, friends that are willing to say, I really liked what I did, but I hear you. Let's do what you envisioned. And so he, he was able to uh, see my vision of what the drums, and it's one of my favorites, man. Like I really get excited when I hear, dun, 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 you know, then the snare hit, and it just feels... Um, feels great to me. So did I, sorry, I rambled. Did that answer your question? Yeah, I guess. And it's okay if the answer is no. Was it at all meant to mimic a like marching, like, I almost felt like it was like a, I pictured like, like the revolutionary war, like a guy like being like doing that initial, not initial, but in the verses and in the, uh, in the bridge, it kind of feels like a marching type of, yeah. and with the war imagery and stuff and peace, and it felt like I, an ironic play on that type of war type music almost. Yeah, it. I th- I think definitely. I think I, I was in concert band as a kid, so I think, and I played snare drum, and um, so I think I always am thinking of what can get me to move but also other people to move and no greater musical expression than uh, you know march for sure i definitely want people always to bob their heads you know um and i think that uh the marching snare drum that we overdubbed was just yeah it it felt like it was beautiful and it brought um it just brought motion and energy to what i was trying to say so yeah, I think for sure. I mean, yeah, we intentionally did those marching snares, um, and it just felt felt great, you know. But it is like kind of my most like Coldplay esque chorus ever. <laughs> and, uh, it's real anthematic, and um, like I could picture Chris Martin just screaming the chorus, uh, which made me happy, you know. Like if people one, if they have the courage to try to sing that high, go for it. But also, I think they're they're worthwhile songs to to sing and to and to wonder. Does yeah, is that what is that who God is to me? Like if someone can hear that song and be like, who are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> if one of my Christian friends can be like, what's that song about? <laughs> I'll be like, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, then then what a great opportunity to introduce people to love and to real freedom. Next up, we have the second to last track, Home.
Andrew, what are your thoughts on Home? So I love the lyrics of the song so much. And the music helps further the idea of this coming home and home being a safe place. And the bridge of this song is one of my favorite sections on the entire album. I love when you hit your high vocal register yelling, I won't be your photograph. It gives me chills every time. It's just so good. And you do such a good job telling a story, not just lyrically, but vocally, and how you communicate the lyrics. What was your mental approach heading into this track vocally, and what did you hope to accomplish with your performance? This was um, the only song that was written before um, I started working on the record. And I had toured it, actually, so I, I went on a tour with my buddy Josh Garrels. A, f- uh, a few years ago, and I had played. I played this song. I opened each night with the song, and the song um, is a lullaby I sing to my family. Um, when my kids were a little younger, I would sing it to them every night, and um, and so it's a real song that is sung in my household, you know. Um, and so I knew that I loved it, but it wasn't until I toured it that I ended up going up an octave because I realized Mm. that live, everyone's just waiting like, oh, this is chill, Dave, chill music. And then there was one night where I just was like, I got to go for it. So I went up and all of a sudden the whole room changed because they're like, oh, he means it, you know? And then they leaned in and so I realized why I went, jumped to the end and, and moved up in my registers because... It was the only thing that that worked live um, for the song. So I'm just going to echo what Andrew said first by saying, first off, the bridge is one of my favorite parts of the record as well. It's just such a tremendous way that it drops into that silence and then it just ascends and it really sweeps you away. And I think the song is Wicked Sick in light of Talking to Air. And I really view those songs kind of together in my own way and i don't mean that in a blasphemous uh way but this song kind of seems like you're recognizing the importance of your presence with your family like you recognize the importance of god's presence in your life so my question for you is is it fair to say that this song in light of talking to air is an example of how god's presence can really work through us to love others and create safety and belonging Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. It's also, you know, very similar to Shadowland in that it's a song that God can sing to me and I can sing it to my family. Um, It's a song that we both can sing and not be uh, and and have a conversation. So I can hear God say, I won't be your photograph absent from the words, from the air you breathe, wondering when I'll be home to see, I won't be your photograph. I can hear him saying like, Hey, um, all the, you know, I can't think of the lyrics in the second verse, but it's one of those songs where my love for my family was a reflection of the love I felt from God. And um, the reality is shared. It's not dualistic. It's like, oh, well, of course, that, you know, that's how I feel about my wife and children, because that's how I feel like God feels about all of us. And so, yeah, it was very much, yeah, and there is some parallels between talking to the air for sure. But in general, it is also that other investigation, if you will, in my own spirit of trying to write a song that isn't just one-sided. 
Next up, we have the final track from the record, Past Today. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Past Today? This is the perfect ending track for the album. It leaves the listener pondering all that they've heard throughout the entire album while still leaving them full of hope. This is one of the more upbeat uh, songs on the album, and the track just does a great job concluding and summarizing the album thematically. How did you decide that this song would be the ending of the album, and what do you hope listeners take away from this song and the album as a whole? First off, you guys are good listeners. Thank you for uh, listening to my music. Uh, it's really fun to hear your takeaways because I'm like, oh, awesome. I, uh, I mean, I'm I try to be really thoughtful, but um, and all my friends who know me, they listen to these songs and they understand my journey. But it gives me a lot of ho- encouragement and hope that people I don't know are also picking up on the heart behind the song so thank you for listening and having me on the podcast so originally past today it had to either be like track two or it almost wasn't going to fit on the record and um i had the record finishing with home and it felt like so like ah you know but um my buddy steven roach i sent him the record and um he's Wonderful. He's in a band, a band called Songs of Water and has a podcast called The Make- Makers and Mystics, which is a great podcast. And I sent it to him and he uh, called me and he goes, dude, I think Past Today would be a perfect ending track. And it, he was totally right. So I can't take credit for it. Uh, it was his <laughs> his thought. And obviously, you know, um, Tifa was, was really helpful as well in helping me tell my story and she would fight me and uh, tell me, but you know, really helped uh, serve serve me in, in in these songs. So it was I was driving back um, Colorado. It's really beautiful. Got mountains and and he called and he's like, dude, what better sentiment to end a record with than on and on we'll find a way. And I was like, done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that then it just immediately was like, well. I don't care if musically it feels strange to go up, you know, like in a bit more of a pop song. It just felt like um, it's the only song that Allie sings on as well. She's singing with me at the end, my wife. And yeah, it just felt like a beautiful ending to 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 the record for me. So as Andrew said, um, lyrically, musically, it just summarizes the album your overall situation, your perspective, and your heart's response um, so well. And then sonically, it really drives forward, but it doesn't like resolve, which I think works out really well with the lyrics. So first off, I'm curious of the way the title is presented and how it kind of correlates with the song. I have some theories, but none are too strong, and I figured it'd be better to ask you than just ramble and not make sense. So... 
Do you mind talking about that, if, the, if there is a correlation? Yeah, I love topography, and I love um, how... I love language, and I love T.S. Eliot, and I love people that play with words and stuff. And so the song... I just thought it would be pretty punk rock, man, to like have the last last song. Uh, and this song, though, from the time I wrote it, I always put spaces in between the letters. And it just felt like that was the title, it wasn't just past today, but there was space between what was past and what is present. Um, and I'm a fairly visual person, so... It just, and then when I sent it to Zach McNair, he he just was like, "Yes, we won't change it. I love it." So yeah, that was the whole thing. It just I needed space between those letters for whatever reason. So second off, I really respect how you don't make light of earthly struggle and pain and brokenness. You don't end the record being like, well, one day God's going to make everything all right. And so it's all good. Just don't sweat it. Like, please shut up about your pain and your crying. Like, you don't have enough faith. Like, but there's this like, I, I almost picture this record as like holding heaven and earth in both hands and not leaning too far one way or the other does that kind of make sense to you and do you mind like elaborating on that yeah 100 percent. that is my life and so that's been my experience in life and i it i have a tremendous respect for both the earth and for the spiritual way you know realm whatever you want to call it heaven and i think that spiritual life is holding both of those things in reverence and holding both of those things with gratefulness and but but not sugarcoating the fact that um it's a miracle we're all alive and life's hard but it's beautiful and uh and i find tremendous peace and comfort and things of the earth and, you know, nature and the beauty of a, a smile, of even a stranger, you know, like Rilke, like one of my favorite poets. You know, anyone who is black and white, just certain about everything, it has, it's one way or another way. Anyone who lacks the desire to uh, be in any gray thought or area is missing out on the beauty of life um, it's in the in-between moments it's in the, the moments of silence you know between what is being said what should be said what you know it, it's that's the stuff that that makes life worth living and so I think the whole record is my attempt at expressing my experience with that with uh not just the holy spirit you know the holy ghost as the the album title references but also with just with life that isn't laid out in front of you like if i knew what tomorrow or next year or in 10 years had in store for me i'd be missing out on 
the opportunity and the joy of faith and the joy of belief that, you know, um, people would give up if they knew what was going to be in the future. <laughs> and we, we need people not to give up. We need people to imagine a better future, imagine a better present, and really come to grips and uh, reconcile the past and find healing. Wow, what a great way of summarizing. So as we close, Dave, if you don't mind, we'd like to do one last thing, which is share our favorite song. You don't have to share, but if you'd like, you can take some time to think about which your favorite track is as Andrew and I share ours. We understand sometimes songs are like kids and you have no favorites, but maybe you'll feel the desire to share what your favorite track today is. But Andrew, first off, what's your favorite track? Yeah, so Dave, if I can just request that next time you write an album, um, you don't write so many good songs because this <laughs> literally, I I told my wife earlier today, I was like, I don't know that I've ever had a harder time picking a favorite song. Aww. And so I literally have like multiple songs right now highlighted as possible favorite songs because they all have been and they all feel like they currently are. So I don't have much conviction saying this because I feel like there's so many incredible tracks and tomorrow I'm going to be like, oh, why did I pick that one? This one's like <laughs> my favorite. So I'm just going to pick a track that I instantly loved and it's the song Shadowland. I just think it is such a strong track. I think if I was introducing your sound to someone that that hasn't listened to your music, and even if they listened to your last album, this album is fairly different. And so I think this not only introduces your overall sound, but this album, it introduces it so well. And I love all the small elements, and I love it even more just knowing the story behind it that you shared today. So I, I'm going to go with Shadowland. And, uh Yeah. So, Nate, what's your favorite track on this album? I feel like this is like a, the NFL draft, and I'm like, damn, that was a good pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a very similar problem as Andrew where I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to pick one and just because I like can't have any conviction either. But for me, I'm actually going to go with home. And I think just vocally – for me, it, it might be your best performance on the record. And the bridge just gives me, I was just going to say it gives me goosebumps, but it actually doesn't. It gets me psyched. It like makes me get awesome. like wicked pumped up. Yeah. And I also think that's it hits your Boston a coming out. Wicked, wicked smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I think, I think you're like the Harvard that's like the wicked stuff, of like man. songwriters. <laughs> But uh, I also think it hits a little bit harder for me where um, my wife and I, we were in a long distance relationship for four years. Mm. And just like the struggle of that and desire for home within that relationship, I think for me makes this song hit home in a unique way. Hit home. Okay. Anyways, um, Dave, what's your favorite track? If you'd like to share, you don't have to. Uh Dude, thank you, both you guys. Uh, super, what a blessing. Um, I think, yeah, Shadowland is, I think, my my favorite song. And uh, it just, uh, I like them all, you know. Obviously, I, ma I, I made them and tried to cultivate them. But Shadowland, there was a, it felt 
other than me. And I love, I love that. And uh, I love my son's involvement with it, but also, yeah, when, when that, uh, synth comes in at the end, yeah. uh, which I basically gave Tyler, that synth wasn't always there. And, uh, I told Tyler, I called him and I was like, bro, I need you to make the most powerful, dark, monolithic black hole sound uh-huh. you've ever created <laughs> in your life. It's perfect. As if all of creation is sucking you into it. And uh, he's like, damn, okay. You know? <laughs> it was like, it was really funny. Uh, and dude, he did it. Yeah. And, um, I'm forever grateful. That's one of my favorite moments on the record when I stop singing and that synth comes in and I'm, I am just, I smile every time and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. So, so yeah, that's like, I think my favorite uh, track as well as favorite moment on the record. Well, Dave, the path became a ghost. As the interview went on and as Denver got dark, you became a ghost. <laughs> How poetic. <right. laughs> um, but thank you so much for making your music, sharing your story, and also helping so many artists share their story and help their music come to life. We're just so extremely grateful for this record, and we're so blessed to have you. And I mean that in a holistic sense just blessed to have you living and um we're just also blessed to have the opportunity to talk to you and we just thank you so much no thank guys seriously like it's so encouraging to me and i love the format in which you uh this has not only been blessing to me but i'm sure every artist that's on your podcast this is like a shot in the arm you know really encouraging stuff so Thank you so much. Your words are deeply encouraging to me. And I hope I hope to get to meet both of you. It'll be a joy. So it'll be fun. Well, thank you so much for listening to part two of our interview with Dave Wilton from A Boy in His Kite. We hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as we enjoyed interviewing Dave. So just thank him for joining the podcast. You can follow him on all the different socials that he has to keep up with A Boy in His Kite. And if you'd like to keep up with this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials at LDL Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us at Long Distance Listen at gmail.com. Thank you so much and have a great day. The path became a...